HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb Credit. Heritage Radio Network listeners can learn more about the power of community capital by visiting honeycombcredit.com slash HRN. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. It's a butter egg made from plants. Bring more customers in your doors with Just Egg. Start with a free sample at ju.st slash HRN. This week on Meat and 3, we're turning an eye to food at its trickiest, from imitation olive oil to the pretensions of 3D printers. We were just doing like a birthday party for one of the employees, and we printed a steak just for fun. You know, a grape Jolly Rancher isn't going to satisfy your craving for, for grapes. So, I mean, in a sense, it kind of multiplies the, the sensory qualities that we can love in the world. So basically, you culture the cell, in a bioreactor, it grows, and then ultimately at the end, you come out with a piece of meat. Tune in to Meat in 3, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Eli Sussman, and welcome to The Line on Heritage Radio. Today's guest is Chef Suzanne Barr. Suzanne was previously the head chef and a partner at True True Diner in Toronto, Canada. She was also the owner of the popular restaurant Saturday Dinette and the inaugural chef in residence at the Gladstone Hotel. Suzanne has been recognized as an advocate for marginalized peoples within the hospitality industry through equitable employment practices. Her team members were all paid equal livable wages and tips were pooled among front of house staff and the kitchen. She has previously participated in the James Beard Foundation Chef Bootcamp, been a featured speaker at the MAD Symposium in Copenhagen, and was chosen as one of six finalists to present a project at the Women in Hospitality United Symposium in New York City. She was also one of the chefs featured in Maya Gallus' documentary film, The Heat, A Kitchen Revolution. She spoke to me from her home in Toronto about the lockdown in Canada, what it is like to close your restaurant during COVID, and we dug into the challenging separation from her investors and business partners. We also discussed finding the joy in life and how COVID, the last year of protests, and spending time with her family at home during lockdown has helped her grow as a chef and a person. Now, on to the episode. So, of course, we're talking digitally today. We're, we're not able to be in person, 
And of course, the COVID pandemic is still going on. We were just briefly discussing before we went on air the situation in Toronto. So uh, I'm in New York. Uh, New York is partly open. Much of the United States is fully open. And I'm curious, what is the status in Toronto? And also, uh, if you can speak a little bit to what's going on in Canada and either the precautions or maybe lack of precautions that the government is taking now that we are, let's just call it, 13 months into the pandemic. Um, So where are things at in Toronto? Yeah, um, well, I'm in my basement. (laughs) I'll start there. (laughs) Um, You know, this pandemic has um, really shown where as a nation, Canada has, has kind of stood in the forefront, which is I think they had the ideals that we were going to be ahead of the curve. Um, But I think it really showed once the vaccine started um, becoming more readily available, that um, certain provinces and particularly certain our particular country was going to actually be behind and we're slowing, we're we're to a halt almost, it feels. Um, We are still in phase one of our vaccinations. So that's um, individuals, seniors over the age of 80. Um, we have been being notified. I do know of people that are getting vaccinated that are um, younger than 80. So there is, there are cases that are, are I guess, isolated from those that I know that are, are not getting um, vaccinated. But it's um, it's hard. Just this two days ago, we were placed back into um, um, a state of emergency lockdown again. So restaurants closed. Um, everything that had been closed are closed. Any retail shops are now only for curbside pickup with the exception. I think what has the government has placed us in is in a state of, of emergency, but also in a state of, of confusion because there's a lot of people like myself that are trying to, you know, go through the websites, go through, um, any Instagram feeds, any Twitter feeds that are kind of giving you a bit more information because it's hard to know what we, you can and can't do. You can go out for exercise, but you can't go out to sit at a patio. You can go to buy a boat, but you can't go to a shop to buy your kids supplies for art. Um, essential items are the only things that you're allowed to purchase at any stores. So on in like whether you're going to a grocery shop or the dollar store, anything that's outside of food related items are not for sale. So they're actually roping these items, these lanes off, which is very confusing because I have a young five year old at home. Um, he's been home since earlier this week. And I need schools, I need supplies to kind of keep him activated and keep him, you know, intrigued and excited about being home with mom and dad learning. And I need to get some supplies. And so my only option is to go online to purchase. And typically that, you know, that is, yes, supporting smaller businesses, but it's still a state of confusion. It's still not, we're still not getting enough information as far as like, what is really going on? And there are a lot of conspiracy theories that are being passed around. There's a lot of people that are just exhausted. Mentally, physically, we're just exhausted. We're the longest running um, country in all of North, like we're the longest running country in North America that has actually been in lockdown. Like Toronto has really seen the influx of the numbers of the recent um, uh, 
uh, gosh, <laughs> I'm just like rambling, but like, there's just so much to say, but Toronto specifically, we've seen because of the most recent variant, we've been locked, we've been in lockdown and yeah. we're exhausted and we're tired. And, you know, I'm tired of talking about, you know, how am I feeling? Because really, truly, I'm, I don't know how I'm feeling some days. Some days I'm feeling okay. Other days I'm feeling like there's something missing. There's something not right. There's something that, you know, is not connected for me. And that would probably be that I've not been cooking in over a year as a chef. I closed my restaurant over a year ago. You know, it's, it's so many different things, but, um, I guess it's one day at a time is what I say every day. I do think that it is impossible to ask someone to sum up their COVID experience because if it wasn't COVID and you ask somebody, hey, what was your last year like? They would say, well, there were ups and downs and, you know, I had great days and I had bad days. It's, uh, it's, it's extremely, uh, it's, it's impossible really to kind of really articulate what a COVID experience is like. But for you, I do want to ask about the specific experience of having to close down your business. Uh, as a chef and as a restaurateur, your restaurant is probably like your second child. You probably put all your creative energies into that. And um, to have to you know, physically close the door and not be able to go inside, do you remember the specific date that you shut the doors? And... Can you just talk a little bit about what that was like in terms of, did you think it would be a week? Did you think it would be a month? From from my perspective, I remember having a discussion with my staff second week of March and them saying, do you think this is going to be a week? And I said, I think it's going to be bad. I think it's going to be maybe two or three weeks. And now in retrospect, how naive it was to think that, you know, come April, we were all going to be are going to be back at work. So what was your experience like? Um, and what around what was the date of the Toronto shutdown? Yeah, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's so clear to me, I remember it, I remember um, thinking to myself, you know, I had, st- you know, we started hearing the news really heavily in December. And then it was like January, my husband had gone to New York for um, a, a project. And then he got back in um, and we were just, he was just like, I don't know, this isn't, this is going to come here. And, I, you know, and I think we're, you know, very real I, in, in the understanding that in North America, we're not so isolated. You know, when you look at everything that you, that you have around the world, you, you have items that are come from around the world and people are traveling in and out of this country. And, you know, that's the beauty of being able to do that. But I think, when we were in the second week of March, much like you, it was, it was a brunch service and Saturday we got hit Sunday. We were, we were there and we had done a few precautions, removed things off the table. We, um, we were just giving paper uh, menus out to customers and we actually saw a drop in the people that were coming for brunch. And we were like, I don't know, you know, and my husband said to me, he's like, I think we should shut. And I was like, okay, well, let's just wait to see what the government says. You know, you never know. And sure enough, it was like, within like a few hours, we had heard that France had closed. And we were like, oh, that's, that's it. So that was then Monday, Monday, we came in, 
with a few of our team members, we started shutting down and they were like, chef, how long do you think? And I was like, maybe two weeks, just like kind of loosely pack up, put things in the freezer. We're good. Like, you know, take, make some bags for everybody. We packed up lunch bags for all of our staff. Everyone came at their comfort to come pick up the bags. And it was like, okay. And you know, for me, I've been cooking professionally for 12 years, but, you know, cooking, cooking most of my life with, with the father that really showed me and taught me about how important food is my mom, but like never thinking that maybe I might actually stop doing what I've been doing for so long. And I might have to reimagine what that is and how am I going to provide for my family when my husband and I both are employed by our, our restaurant? Like, what are we going to do? And we, there's the fear of like reopening even for takeout because there were still so many unknowns. Like, can you open up? Can you not open up? Like, are people going to be safe? And we didn't have a takeout model. So we really had to think about that. So two weeks came and went. Two, two weeks, month came and went. We have partners in our restaurant. We were working um, quite closely with our partners and with the city and with a few organizations that had, you know, really launched up in the early stages of the pandemic to kind of help restaurateurs and restaurants to figure out, like, how do we get, you know, this food out? There were, I was getting emails and text messages from friends like, yo, I've got like 20 cases of eggs. Who needs eggs? I've, someone's like, I've got a, 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 a case of milk. What can we do with milk? There were senior centers, there were folks that were needing meals. So we started, we immediately turned our kitchen into a community hub where we started cooking meals for the neighborhood and we didn't want to waste anything. And before we know it, you know, our partners very, you know, um, coming from a different background, they're real estate invest investors. They didn't really, you know, they were really relying upon us to kind of give them the updates and we were doing that. And before maybe it was maybe June or maybe even May, we were planning to reopen. We had started to think about the menu. We were going to open up a bit of um, a takeout marketplace. And our partners pulled us to the side and they said, listen, we don't want to continue operating as partners. And can you continue on your own, do you think? And we were like, let's see. And I researched. Um, I was able to secure some additional funding. Um, we had already had some issues with our partners, but we were, you know, pretty hopeful that we can keep this restaurant going. It had really become a place uh, for the for the city as a, a comfort food diner that really focuses on, you know, making sure that folks feel like they're in included. It was also all about equity at the table. And then shortly thereafter, our partners came back and said, we're not interested in having a restaurant in your space. We don't, we actually need you to vacate the building. And that was it. So we were forced out of our restaurant. Um, I was no longer, I was the face of this restaurant, but I was no longer the owner or the, the person that was making decisions for this restaurant because my partnership was based on um, a working sweat equity relationship. And unfortunately we didn't, we weren't in the position at that point to make final decisions so we shut the doors. I released a press statement um, in support of the injustices that were done to myself, the restaurant, my whole team, and my husband. Um, we called our partners out socially. Um, it was a really, really challenging time for me. It was at the same time that Black Lives Matter movement was 
it was in full swing and everything that was happening in the US that was happening here, that was happening around the world was affecting me. And, you know, like anyone that closes a restaurant, it is not an easy fit, but then to add the other layers that most folks of color have to deal with in certain situations where you might be considered sweat equity is that you don't have a real voice when it comes to the, making those big decisions. So it wasn't something that I, I tell lightly when I say that I close my restaurant, it, it comes with a story attached and it comes with a, a clarity that, you know, COVID hasn't just taken, you know, millions of lives away, but it also, also has taken away a lot of folks ability to, to imagine what is possible if you don't have true equity. And if we don't understand the basis of, privilege and and we don't understand the basis of how we need to um to really really imagine a future that is is about showing folks of color opportunities that they have and how that affects other communities how how that affects a rest, another restaurateur another chef coming into the industry and seeing your favorite places shut down for these injustices for no reason and then not being able to to really imagine a future when things are just going being being shut down and things don't have a real resolution you don't have a plan in place we we struggled in the beginning with trying to figure out how to come out of this but we found a way and time will always tell i you know i i feel like i am a very very resilient person it's a part of who i am not just being a black woman, but just who I am being born to Eunice and George. But it also gave me a lot of, of thought of how important my voice is and to be able to use that and be able to advocate for folks that sometimes are silenced, most of the time are silenced, are muted, or that aren't, aren't able to really stand up or are scared to. It was a bit scary to talk about what happened. It's never easy to tell somebody your true story of why you maybe failed, but it wasn't failure. We were on the right path. We were on the right track, doing the right thing, paying our staff equal pay. We were paying our staff, you know, uh, a tipping system was, was something that was heading out the door. We were looking for a full health benefits for our team. We were play, giving job opportunities and job placement for those that were newcomers that were also those that have never worked in the industry, you know, my intention and my work has everything to do with my love for food and how important this conversation is in my life and those that have inspired me and continue to inspire me. And that most of the time are the people that I work with. And I miss those folks and I miss that flexibility and that freedom and that self-expression and that awareness of what how important restaurants are in neighborhoods and what we bring to communities. So we'll see. You know, did the did the experience of of talking about it publicly, the the split from your partners and uh, being vocal about the situation and sharing the truth about the situation, did that lead to um, folks rallying around you? Did it lead to people uh did any opportunities come about from that? It's extremely difficult to open up a business. Uh, 
of of course you know this better than me it is extremely difficult for a woman and a person of color to open up a business in any country did um do you see any uh positive avenues moving forward will people have either approached you um just mentally supportive so. <laughs> or, or financially supportive where they have now heard your story and they realize that uh, there were injustices in the way that your business relationship and the way that you were treated. Um, is anything positive coming of this situation? I'm here today. I'm smiling. I'm speaking with you. We're here to talk about an incredible cookbook that features our restaurant, mm-hmm. True True Diner. Yeah. So absolutely, absolutely. You know, like I recognize that, you know, through hardship comes typically blossoms, beautiful things. I mean, I think that we as folks of color, we, we can relate to that on so many levels. When we look at our, our ancestors and the generational trauma that has lived within me, that has carried on. And I think, you know, whether the opportunities came out of people feeling like we have to hire a face, we have to put a person of color in, in this, you know, publication or this article, we need someone, you know, to, we need to highlight black owned businesses you know, I think there's a lot of that that happened right after. There was a lot of that that's still happening. There were block bo- black boxes that went up that, you know, for a lot of people, they didn't really know why they were doing it. They didn't really connect to the purpose of it, mm-hmm. but they felt like they had to be a part of the movement, you know? And I think that the movement is, is, is still very much, we're still in it. You know, we're still fighting for our, our, our liberties. We're still fighting to be able to stand in spaces that, We've always stood in and have our voices and our stories heard. And we're not a, we're not waiting for someone to give us. We're now creating our own platforms. We're creating our own um, uh, collectives. We're creating our own moments, our own templates, our own. And not to, to feel like that's, that is coming out of this, but that is in addition to what happened. We feel like it's just, it's another way to celebrate the work and the food and, and the stories that come from most folks of color. And I'm excited to continue to receive more opportunities. I mean, for me, it was, it was going on to some national shows here in Toronto, whether it was um, on TV and on radio, sharing my story. Um, Some articles went to print. You know, I had uh, a few people reach out to me just saying, can I give you a massage? Like I heard your voice and I just want to let you know that I hear you and I stand with you. To someone just telling me that my words gave them the strength to walk away from their situation or even their, my words gave them the strength to be able to feel like they didn't fail in, in, in their closure of their project. You know, it's like you never, it's, it's hard to connect when you're in it because sometimes you're so deep in it and you're just like, you can't see the light. You just, you know, and I was so consumed at the time, but quickly friends and family were pulling me forward. Like you've got this you've got this, you're supported. We believe in you. You did incredible work. You're going to continue to do incredible work. And I hope to, and I believe that. And there's so many things to be grateful for. I'm grateful that I've had so much time with my family, with my husband, with my son. We never had that time. You know, as a restaurateur, you're like you said, your best, your restaurant is your second baby. For me, my restaurant became a part of my baby. It was, it was my first child, my first restaurant. 
And then this project became the, the place that my son was most times. He went, he had dinners there. He had lunch there. And, you know, now we're home and we're embracing the time we are together. We're sitting at a dinner table. We're looking at each other. We're going on walks. And, you know, my life has really shifted over the year, but I'm very grateful for the shifts and finding the silver lining moments because I think those silver lining moments are what matter the most to to be able to wake up the next day and recognize, okay, I might not feeling good today, but I also recognize that yesterday was yesterday and today is a new day. When, when you're talking about this new time that you found and sort of a new perspective during COVID and, and being empowered during a moment of, during a time frame of, in, of intense pain and, and heartbreak, uh, has that changed your perspective at all on whether you would like to reopen a traditional restaurant that, you know, has staff and customers come in? Or have you sort of reevaluated what you might want to do in 2021 and 2022? Um, if it's, going to be similar to true true can you talk a little bit about that and if it's going to be something completely different or you're you're still kind of dreaming it up i would love to hear like where your head is at on on future projects based on what you've taken away from the the new time and the new perspective of not being in the grind every minute of every single day i mean i miss the dance i miss the line <laughs> i miss the dance so much it's like you know, like we we don't really know what we miss until we actually don't have it. And I and I really do strongly believe that. And, you know, like I was always craving a day off, <laughs> even though I was working seven days a week at the time. But being able to take a day off and have a year off and really, you know, contemplate, can I do this again? I mean, when I closed my first restaurant, I absolutely was like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> do not ask me. Do not even spread any rumors. But I did. I, you know, I was, I worked at, a, I was an ex executive chef at a, a hotel. You know, I've opened up many projects since my first restaurant and opening True True, I think because it had so much of me in it. And it also had so much of my partner and my manager, the three of us really molded this, this space into making it a, a real true inclusive, socially focused restaurant. That was our whole intention. So you asked me today if I'm going to do it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like I, I love what restaurants bring to, to neighborhoods, to communities I love what restaurants bring to me in my life. I love that it is a space that will allow me to put my creations on a plate and I can tell a story. You know, at the same time, I love doing that. I also love the ability right now to be on radio, to talk to um, journalists and to also provide folks, you know, a cooking experience online and doing the many other things that I've been doing, you know, and that is all came out of, COVID shutting things down and me, you know, having to reimagine what's next for me. And then me being excited that I can do anything I really wanted to take to do right now. And I've done that and I've embraced it. But I think there is, um, there is a lot of excitement about when I am ready, where it's going to be, how is it going to, who, like, what is it going to inspire? You know, true, true, like Saturday Dinette, 
they are, the whole focus was around diners. And I love what diners have historically been in the past and what they will be in the future. And I love to think about how we are going to eat in the future. And I love to think that I can actually continue to be a part of that future thinking. So yes, I welcome, you know, the opportunity of, of, but I'm, I, I think I have a lot of, a lot of um, strength now and in knowledge that I would go about it a lot differently. You know, those lessons that learned from those two projects in my life are going to prepare me for when I am ready to open and what is it going to look like and how am I going to mold it? Because I don't know if we're going to see a, a, the traditional, I don't know if, if the traditional sense of restaurants are going to look the same. I don't think they are. I think it's going to completely shift. I mean, we hear talks about ghost kitchens. We hear talks about the takeout model, the marketplace. We, we hear so many different pop-up ideas. I mean, it's just, you can't just expect that whatever we knew before is going to ever be, be again. I think we're going to just welcome the fact that whatever we're going to look like, we just got to make sure that we're taking care of those that matter the most and that make up and create and tell a story around that food and support us in creating these concept restaurants um, and help us support our, our local farmers and so help support our team with their mental health. And how do we value, you know, folks that work with us? I think the, the traditional sense of restaurants has been working for the amount of people that have used it and abused it. And I think that tradition is changing to something quite interesting and amazing. And that is the part that I want to be a part of creating a new tradition for this industry, not this, not thinking the archaic ways that we've been utilizing for so long and how they're not necessarily broken. They just weren't working and they weren't thinking about me and folks of color like me. So what I'm trying to create is a new, a new future of what restaurants and what hospitality and what, um, storytelling and what putting food on the table and what working with incredible artisans and farmers and, and purveyors and those that are telling and creating culinary experiences that really uplift and share and create and bring people in and bring people back together and find a way to really, 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 um, you know, tell those stories that we don't always hear and tell and share the food that we always don't get to eat. And that's what I want to be a part of, truly. We've been talking a lot about the future and we will continue to discuss more <laughs> things about the future, but I actually want to jump all the way back to the beginning. Uh, you have dual citizenship, right? You, yes, I do. And so I want to hear a little bit about where you were born and I would love okay. you, you briefly touched on your parents. You mentioned them very briefly, but I would love to hear you talk a little bit about your parents and then just your early experiences with food. We talk about, uh, you know, stories and memories and, and putting food on plates and, you know, where, where are you pulling all these ideas and flavors from? Are they from your childhood and, and where was your childhood? Yeah. Um, so I was born in Toronto, Canada, which is where I'm currently now. <laughs> um, my family, we migrated to the U S in the eighties, early eighties. And I grew up in South Florida in um, an area called plantation, Florida, um, and plantation is very close to Fort Lauderdale in Miami for those that don't know Florida. And I grew up cooking and watching my parents cook everything from 
the traditional Jamaican um, dishes because both of my parents are of, of West Indian background. And, you know, so it was a lot of Caribbean Jamaican food. And then it was also a lot of American food being fused together. So we would have like at the table, we'd have like jerk chicken, maybe some curry goat. And then we'd have like a lasagna. We'd have some white rice. We'd have like an apple pie. And then we'd have like a romaine lettuce salad, <laughs> maybe a Caesar salad. So my parents really, you know, they merged, you know, what we were traditionally going to be, of course, eating because of what they grew up eating with where we were living and what was a part of also their expansive um, experience and learning about that there's other food choices. There's there's so many influences that now we have access to maybe not the same ingredients that my parents grew up having, that now we have access to so many different things. And so, you know, I my earliest memories of cooking with my with my parents is my dad showing us how to make beef patties on our kitchen countertop. And we would, you know, put the turmeric in the flour. We would roll it out. We would fill it with the ground beef that he's marinated and, and cooked in the pan. And then we would fold it over, take the fork and fork the sides and then trim the sides. And then we'd load them up in the um, a plastic bag. And we'd have patties in the freezer for like a month. And it was our treat. And it was something that for me, I will never forget. And I, and I, you know, I make patties now. Um, I dream of opening up a patty shop. It was my dad's first dream to open a patty shop. My, my mom was really skeptical. She was like, the, the food industry is too challenging. You know, it's unstable. You have a family. And my dad was like, okay. But the first entrepreneur that I knew was my dad. He was, he, you know, he opened up book bindery business and, you know, he was a self-made, you know, um, man, like everything that he'd ever done in his life, you know, he left home at a young age in Jamaica and came to Canada and found his voice in doing the things that came to him by experience and by knowledge. And, you know, I think I learned so much of that from my dad. And I think I learned about sharing food and stories and dancing from my mom. And, you know, when my mom got sick and passed away from cancer when I was 22 at the time, it was, it hit me very hard because I had just really begun my journey and I moved to New York um, to study uh, at to study at the School of Visual Arts initially, and then I'd left and came back. And so I have kind of a, a in and out of story and a in and out of love of New York. But when I was in New York at the time, um, when I when I found my passion to actually go back to culinary school, I was working in film and television. You know, and a lot of people are like, how did you find food and you worked in the film and television? And it really just came down to, I was always cooking. I was always eating. I was always sharing and I was always doing something with food, but I had a full-time job and I was a producer working at MTV and I walked away from it all to really pursue this, this life that I knew nothing. And I was 30 and I was freaked, freaked out and freaked out. A lot of people, they're like, you have a cushion job. What are you doing? And I'm like, no, I want to, I want to figure out what's next. And I lived in Brooklyn. I worked at a few different restaurants throughout Brooklyn. I had a little uh, bakery that I launched out of an incubator in uh, Long Island city called sweet potato bakery. I was cooking for a few little smaller vegan restaurants and, you know, like my story, you know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people say to me, like, how can you just continue to reinvent yourself? How is that something that you're not like 
worried that you're not going to, you're not going to do it well, or that you're not going to be successful. It's never been about me trying to be successful. It's always been about me finding a way to express myself. And that's continually what I'm always seeking. So whether it's cooking in my own restaurant or cooking in someone else's restaurant, I'm always just trying to find a, a place to really express myself. And I, whether it's through um, cooking, whether it's through sharing my story, whether it's through writing about my story, you know, my story has, has taken me on these incredible journeys from being a private chef, living in the Hamptons, to going to France, to going to Hawaii, to now living back here in Toronto, having a five-year-old son with my husband and speaking to you today and knowing that this whole journey that I've been on for these past 12, 13 years has really taken me to places that I could never have imagined. And not that I didn't deserve them or don't or that I'm not a hard worker, but because I just never knew. I, I just kind of like let fate tell me and guide me mm-hmm. and trust that my decisions were all really based on the confidence and the support my parents gave me and believing in me. And, you know, whether my dad supporting me through culinary school um, to my mom always telling me that never just continue to do what you love to do and putting me, helping me go to art school. Like I have been so fortunate in this life to have the incredible friends and family that have supported me and also the incredible belief that, you know, I'm not alone and that I can ask for help and that I'm not always whole and I'm not complete and I'm not perfect, but all of this is because I love it and I love what I do and how important it is in my life to be doing what I love to do so much. When you speak about both your parents' impact on you and also that you did make a career transition uh, later on in life than, than a lot of people do, I wonder about uh, mentorship and if there was someone that you leaned on when you were making the switch and then the first couple years. Um, and then the second part of that would be uh, now that you are so established and that you've been doing this for really a, a career's worth of time, um, when did you feel like you were making the switch and you realized oh, wow, people are, people are coming to me. I'm people's mentor now. And how did that feel to uh, have swapped positions perhaps with your parents or your original mentors now that you were like in that position of power to impart that wisdom to, uh, to less established and, and maybe younger people that are just getting started? You know, it's, uh, it's always a trip to me <laughs> to think that maybe someone might, might see me as a mentor and and not because I'm in in some state of imposter syndrome, but really because like, I feel like I'm still seeking a mentor myself. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm always in a, in a position of learning and whether it's a five-year-old, like this little one in my house that I'm learning from constantly or an elder, a senior that I regularly don't see, there's always moments to be able to grasp, grasp and hold on to a bit of learning and teaching. But, um, you know, I think that when I, when I go back to, you know, whether when I was in art school, my first mentor, uh, whether that was my art teacher from high school, uh, Miss V to my, um, when I was in, after I graduated, uh, after I left New York and moved to, I moved to Atlanta and I was working in Atlanta, 
I had a mentor, Fred Taylor. He was a filmmaker. He was someone that really um, guided me and, and helped me understand what it was to be able to storytell on screen. Um, Fred gave me a lot of, of, of just trips, trips, tricks of the trade. And also he gave me a lot of just confidence and knowing that just because you're black and you're a woman, that doesn't mean that, you know, you can't do this or that you're not experienced enough to do this because you didn't maybe graduate from art school. He's like, you can do this. He's like, you're always telling your story. You're always being able to do what you, what you've been born to do. And that is to be a creator. And I was like, okay. So Fred Taylor to then um, Lisa, Chef Lisa, who I worked with um, at a restaurant, a little cafe when I moved back to New York. And she gave me my first job in a kitchen to then Chef Abdul. You know, I've had many people in my life, my Aunt Hilgate to my Aunt Uncle Raymond, to my cousin Nicole, to my sister, that have always been... um, seekers, supporters, voices. Um, they've been arms, sh- arms with away from me. They've been able to extend themselves of giving me a bit of support that I would need in, in the time that I needed it. And I, see, and I see how important it is to feel supported um, and to be able to tap into those folks when you think you need them or when you don't think you need them. At any time that you can tap into someone that is in within your community or your network, or someone that you don't even know. I've learned lessons from people that I've just met on the street to, to lessons that I can just visually see from reading in books or something, an, something happening in front of me. I feel like there's always moments, there had always been moments for me to be able to pick up and absorb and, and learn and grasp something. But it is, um, it is, it is an honor to be able to stand for any young person or any person and share my story of, of the the honesty of not always knowing if I was making the right decision. Maybe I shouldn't have quit my job at MTV, but I did. And I followed a path that I had no idea. Um, I wasn't, I was rarely really sure of what I was going to do. I just kind of went with it. But if someone were to ask me like, why did you just, you know, think that you could do it? I think it just makes me think back to what Fred told me is that I was meant to be an artist. I was meant to be a creator and I was meant to be a storyteller. And that has so much to do with how and why, you know, if you if you ever are in doubt, like find somebody, find a voice, pick up a book, you know, connect, reconnect with someone that's in your life. And you they already might be in your life. You just may not remember. You might not be ready to hear what they are offering up. And that's another thing is that, you know, recognizing that we're not always in the receiving space of take adhering to um, support and mentorship. It's it's always sometimes there and sometimes it's not there, but it has so much to do with when you're ready to be mentored and when you're ready to be guided and led and when you're also ready to do that to, for someone else. It's one of the main reasons why I love food and being in this industry and working on this show is that just hearing the stories and listening to how people come up with their ideas and create their vision and and execute their vision. And like what you said, there is no 
there's no point where, you know, you can't gain all the knowledge about food, right? And like you said, you're, you're looking for a mentor still, even though you are a mentor. It's like whatever level you rise to, whatever you could possibly learn about uh, your corner of the culinary space, there's always going to be more. There's always going to be more to explore. There's always going to be more food to taste and more stories to hear. And that's what I think is so amazing about the industry. You know, it's it's too vast. Like we could never fully wrap our hands around it. And while that is daunting, it's also, there's something so satisfying and exciting about it at the same time. So true. We're going to take a quick break. Stick with us here on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb Credit. Heritage Radio Network listeners can learn more about the power of community capital by visiting honeycombcredit.com HRN. We all know that food businesses like yours are the backbone of your community. You make your neighborhood a more delicious place to be, and your customers are hungry for more. Food businesses across the country are working with Honeycomb to open new locations, buy equipment, and grow. You too can unlock fair growth capital by allowing your community to invest directly into your business. A crowdfunded loan from Honeycomb deepens your customer relationships and gives them a whole new way to engage with your business. You'll also get access to thousands of local investors in the Honeycomb network who are passionate about seeing food businesses succeed. Honeycomb is the community bank of the 21st century. Fair rates, flexible terms, and no prepayment penalties. Honeycomb has proven to be an invaluable growth tool for all kinds of businesses, from James Beard-nominated restaurants and upstart food trucks to organic farms and award-winning breweries. Best of all, with Honeycomb, you're paying back your neighbors, not big banks. To learn more about how Honeycomb Credit can help grow your business while building vibrant, financially empowered neighborhoods, visit honeycombcredit.com HRN. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based customers into your doors with easy to use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample just head to ju.st slash hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier, with no cholesterol, and less saturated fat. And it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st slash hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble, great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also frozen, pre-baked, folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres called Just Egg mind-blowing, and Bon Appetit says, so good I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st slash hrn. Welcome back to The Line on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. Here's the second half of the interview with Chef Suzanne Barr from Toronto, Canada. So, you know, there was uh, True True and there was, um, is it, was it Saturday Dinette or Saturday Diner? Yep. 
Saturday dinette. Saturday dinette. Dinette. Yeah. So the I, I love diners. I feel like we could have talked for an hour about diners. Um, I have a lot of wonderful memories being a kid uh, with my grandpa going to the diner. Um, I'm from Detroit, so there they're often uh, Greek themed or Greek inspired diners, um, sort of mixed in with classic American food. Um, and you know, you get a big old milkshake and you get a a burger as big as your head. And, you know, maybe, maybe grandpa lets me like, you know, get a plate of French fries for myself, but it was, um, not that expensive. And I always remember in Michigan still to, to still, when I go back, it is this place where, um, it's just incredibly economically and racially diverse. It's like there's something for everyone. There's a doctor on their lunch break sitting next to a construction worker, sitting next to a family. Um, okay, so those are some of the reasons why I love diners. I would love to hear about, uh, you know, why you put diner in the name of both places and the food that you create within the uh, within those restaurants and that you have created at, at some of your other jobs. Um, where do you draw inspiration for that? And, um, and if you can also speak a little bit to, um, I saw you, you referenced in an interview, the, um, historical elements of diners as well. And if you could speak to that, I would, I would love to hear your perspective. Yeah. You know, um, (laughs) I feel if I can remember back to when we first opened Saturday Dinette, I was very confused on what (laughs) I wanted to do because, you know, I was trained as like a vegan chef. Then I went to Hawaii, worked at a vegan restaurant. Then I worked with Beverly Gannon at her restaurant, came back to New York. I worked for a Senegalese African chef. You know, like I've had so many different incredible experiences around food that I really was like, what do I want this restaurant to be? The name came from Saturday of De La Soul's track. We were in the car, me and my husband, we were listening to the radio and we were, we had just made an offer on the property for a lease. And we were like, what are we going to call it? And Saturday came up and it was like, yo, this is my song. And everyone that knows me knows music is such a big part of why I love what, you know, food and what I do. So Saturday was in and then we, you know, the, the original location of Saturday Dinette was uh, owned by a guy, a Greek guy named Jimmy or Johnny, sorry. And he, it was a, it was a diner. So some of the original fixtures, the booth seatings were there. Um, we were going to do a minor reno, but we really appreciated the fact that, you know, there was that original framework and, and that, that history that had already taken up space in that corner. So Dinette is a small alcove and it felt feminine and it felt like me. And so that's really kind of how the name came about. But you know, when we first opened, like, because I'd spent so much, so many years in New York and I'd worked as a private chef, I was making like Jewish, like deli style, New York style food. Cause I was like, I can, you know, we had sweet potato latkes on the menu. I was making grav locks. I was making so many different things that were coming at me from my, my, my past within like the last year or so. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to just going to bring a bit of Brooklyn to, um, to the corner in, in Leslieville in Toronto and tell a story. And then I think over time, you know, I really started to do my own research on like, what is, 
my connection to diner because I didn't grow up going to diners. Like my grandfather, I didn't know my grandparents when I grew up. It was really my parents that I spent time with. And so diners didn't really have a connection other than when I lived in Brooklyn, I lived right around the corner from Kellogg's Diner and I used to go there all the time. So that was my connection to diners. But I obviously knew knew the history of the civil rights movement, um, Woolworths, um, the early diner experiences and preparing these 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 students for going to these marches and protests by sit by preparing to sit in, have people um, uh, spit at them, yell at them, create the most hostile environments to scare them out from from not sitting at these these establishments, even though they were restaurants that were catering to you know, those were that were traveling, those were that were looking for a hot meal. And so there was that part of the history of diners. And there was also the part of the history of, of black women and being in the forefront of creating a comfort food, selling it for to, to folks that were taking trains, going cross town or buses, whether it was a chicken sandwich, was it whether it was a box of food. And so there was that sense of community there was that sense of history. There was that sense of comfort. There was all of these moments where as it, I started to really think and talk with my husband, and we just started to put everything together. He grew up in restaurants because he's Greek. And so we were like, this is a story in it itself. And we started to you know, download and print some images that we wanted to put on the wall that really supported our theory and our and our desire to really kind of make this a big part of why diners are so important. So on our walls, we had images from Woolworths uh, to images of Martin Luther King, his mugshot. We had images of Etta, Etta Scott, um, um, Etta, I'm sorry, not Etta Scott, <laughs> Etta James to Billie Holiday. You know, we had images of, of, uh, migrant workers going to get their first sandwich and sitting down and eating it. Our walls were telling a story about the history of what eating together next to someone that you may or may not know, folks that are coming from different demographics, different cultural backgrounds, as diverse as who I am and who my husband is, being I'm a, a Jamaican woman and my husband is a Greek background. So there was that sense of being able to really, you know, embody that in, in our physical space. And we did the same thing at True True. And that was, you know, for me, a, a privilege because it always enlightened people. It either made them feel uncomfortable or it made them feel willing to ask the question, where is that photo from? What is that image about? Why are grits on the menu? Why, why do you have biscuits? What you know, and I think our food started to take a shift from what it was with Saturday Dinette to really celebrating American soul food, really celebrating comfort food, really celebrating food that connected me to my family, to my past, to my to my heritage, to my future, and being able to thread this all together. So it really kind of fit into into the experience of coming to Saturday Dinette and then also to True True Diner. And, you know, I think that there's just this, this, this ability to be able to make anyone feel like we are there, where they're cheers or where they're local, uh, that they can come dressed up or come dressed as they are. 
come happy, come desiring to have a glass of wine or a, a milkshake, whatever you're are, are, are craving, whether it's brunch or dinner or lunch, we wanted to open our doors to a space that really told a bit of that story, a bit of my story of Jamaican heritage, my Greek husband's heritage, and the story of how you know diners are about all of that, the diverse makeup of, of people, the cultural uh, flow of us working together, eating together, and celebrating this, you know, the history of all of that, and the the fight, the struggle that was once there, that is still there in restaurants that we are fighting for people to hear our stories and our voices and our food, but appreciating it in our spaces, and that's what True True was about. It was about appreciating, highlighting, lifting up, inspiring giving birth to more conversations, creating it as a hub, creating it as a place where that would enlighten people to just be able to share, come for your wedding, your birthday, your, your anniversaries, whatever it might be. And, you know, knowing that we've closed our doors, we're moving on. You know, I hope that I'll be able to continue to do that. I know I will. And when I'm ready, whenever that whenever that time does make sense, but you know, I believe in in what we were able to do, and I believe that you know we'll see a lot more diners continue to inspire folks to open up. Um, I think people just want a really hot, good meal. They want to feel at home. They want to feel connected again, and it doesn't always have to be um, something. Uh, it could be something quite simple. That just gives you everything you need. I want to ask about the book, which is uh, today's special. 20 leading chefs choose 100 emerging chefs. You were chosen. Uh, and Don't even understand. <laughs> I'm so crazy. Well, uh, I would love to hear what you have to say about being included in this book. And uh, how did it come about? And... Um, and and how did it make you feel when you heard that you were going to be included um, as one of the hundred uh, emerging chefs as part of the as part of the book? Um, <laughs> when I first got wind, it was actually in an email from Faden um, Publishing, and I was a little taken aback because you know um, Chef Selassie, who re- recommended me to be a part of the book, she and I had um, officially met. Maybe it was a year ago or less than a year prior to that email. And we had had, you know, I was kind of a, a, a host when she came to Toronto as a keynote speaker at Terroir Symposium, which is um, a symposium that happens here annually in Toronto or, you know, for the restaurant industry of, of Canada. But she came as a keynote speaker. We really connected. We talked about you know, what she was doing with food, um, her restaurants and everything. And we parted ways and I received this email and it was kind of this gift that I didn't even really ask for, but, you know, you know, I shared with her about my restaurant. I, you know, I shared with her what was, what our intention was, what our plan was. And, you know, I remember sharing to our partners about it. And they kind of were like, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. And I was like, yeah, but this is actually really great for us. This is this not, you know, not just me. This is great for the whole team because it's not me. It's, it's you know, it's 
because I definitely didn't make this restaurant come together. I made, you know, we all did this restaurant together. So to be able to be in there and to, you know, be at the level where we were, which was still really young, we were just had just opened. And the fact that this, you know, this moment for us to celebrate what true, true was going to be about and telling a bit of my story, how I got there was, yeah, it was kind of like I lost for words. Um, very grateful, very um, humbled by it um, because I don't do this for recognition. And I, you know, and I, and I truly mean that, like, I'm not seeking to feel like, yes, I'm that chef. I'm, I'm being recognized by my, my peers that I can, you know, perform at a level that I'm considered a part of the top 100. I really, you know, create experiences and moments in my life because they felt right. It felt good. It felt intentional. And I think talk, being able to talk about true, true in the way that I was being able to submit those particular recipes and how important they were to me, it just, it made such an impact on the team. And so when I shared with them that it was coming out and even the early pages, they were like overjoyed. They were like, chef, we're in this book. And I was like, I know, right. And it was just like, you know, I've been in Toronto for seven years and I left the U S not because I disliked what was happening. I have so much family there and friends there, but it was time for me to leave and go to make a life for myself in a country that I knew little about. I was born in this place, but I knew nothing about it. And I needed to find that connection. I needed to find out what that was about. And it brought me all of these, you know, these, these moments that I, you know, even to the, up to this moment where I'm so grateful and, you know, it was, it was really, um, it was, I don't know, <laughs> like, I'm just even stumbling over what to say. Like, it was just like, it was very, very exciting. And, you know, I look through that book, and all of the chefs and names that are in there, I've, some of them I know, and a lot of them I don't know, but so respect them and the food that they're doing. And I'm just geeked to keep doing what I love to do and continue to get inspired by those in that book. And, 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 inspired by, you know, what are the things come to me that keep me going? But, um, you know, one big inspiration that I will always give so much thanks for is my mother and, you know, her inspiring me to continue to believe that I can do whatever it is that I wanted to do. And even though she never got to see any of this happen for me in my lifetime, in my career, I know that she's with me and that I know that she she would have agreed that those braised beef back ribs are probably the best beef back ribs <laughs> I could have put in that book. And, you know, I'm, I'm really, you know, inspired to just, you know, keep doing the things that feel right and that make sense and listen and offer up, you know, moments of just vulnerability whenever I can and, you know, continue to just be myself. It's it's hard to predict the future, especially the past 14 months. We have we have no idea what's coming. But if I were to put it to you that uh, I were to say, where do you think 
where do you think two years from now, uh, where, where would you like to be? What, what do you think would make you be satisfied and feel like, uh, you're really, but I am satisfied. No, <laughs> like you're really, um, like you're doing what you set out to do. Like you're, you're following the dreams that you've been following for the last 12 years. Like, where do you think that might end up putting you a year or two from now? Um, great question. You know, it's, um, it's exciting to think about two years from now, you know, because two years from now, my book will be one, my memoir book that's coming out next year will be one year old. And, um, hopefully I might be working on another book. Um, this, this life is so precious and, to be a mother during all of this and to imagine two years, my son will be seven and to know that I will, you know, continue to, to, to be listening and learning from him and supporting him wherever and however he needs that is going to be a big part of where two years will be from now for me. Um, you know, the life of a chef has taken me through many stages and many places and I'm so grateful for it, but it has also sucked up so much of my life. It has consumed so much of my life mentally, physically, and the, the ones that have suffered or have not been able to benefit from me being sucked in are my, is my family. That's my husband and my son and my, and my closest, you know, friends and, and my other family members. Um, and I'm, I think I'm finding myself settle, settling down a bit more and coming into this need that I don't need to be a part of everything. So I hope in two years that whether I'm, you know, you know, launching, working on another new book or opening another restaurant or opening up a culinary school or teaching or whatever it might be that I will be at a place in my life, hopefully in two years. And, and I, and I see that quite positive. And I can say that confidently now in two years, I will be at a place where I will be a lot more, I will find my ways to, to find my center more easily. And I will be able to, you know, make decisions not too impulsively. Um, and I will be able to make decisions that feel very grounded because coming out of a year, and, and possibly a bit, possibly two years of not doing the thing that I thought I was going to do for the rest of my life to having to slow down and rethink and reimagine. I'm like, dude, I want to just continue to find the moments where I'm like, that email that I didn't get to today, I'll get to it tomorrow. That recipe that I need to write and send to my editor, I'll get to it tomorrow. <laughs> that 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 park bike ride that I'm going to go on with my son, let's go. You know, finding, continuing to find my center, continuing to find the things that matter the most to me, continuing to advocate for people, continuing to to call out um, in, in in equities, to call out and call forward ways to create more equal equality in workplaces specifically within the hospitality industry, to continue to enlighten and envision a future that is bright and that sees me and other folks of color and other women and other folks that 
are, are, that are accepting of who we are and what stories we are telling around food. That's where I see in two years. That's where I see in two years. Chef, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. Let everyone who's listening know where they can uh, reach out to you or, you know, follow you. If you have a website or an Instagram that you wanted to share with everyone, uh, shout it out. Yeah. Um, so you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Suzanne Bar Food. And as far as my website, same thing, SuzanneBarFood.com. Um, follow me. Let me know what you think of inspiring conversations about food and let me know what I need to know to be able to really imagine what a bright new hospitality and industry is going to, to really be for us all. Does the so. memoir that's coming out have a title that you can share? And is it, is it, is it available for pre-order yet? Or are you still working on the pages? Pages have been delivered. Oh, we are working on the cover right now. Congratulations. <laughs> that is a big moment when you deliver the pages. Pages have been delivered. Um, so the book comes out um, next year, April, exactly one year from today. Wow. Um, the Amazing. title is Homecoming, Looking Back, Cooking Forward, and that'll be with Penguin Random House. And pre-order probably will be maybe December, January, I'm assuming. I don't really know how that works. I'm still learning the tricks of the publishing trade. Memoir but, um, or recipes combined? What it? Yeah, so it's really my story, my um, parents' migration story um, around food. It's it's all about food, me coming back to Canada to really tell my story and my family's story of how um, these recipes have inspired me to continue to create. And, you know, all of the challenges that I saw, you know, whether it was working in this industry to working in the first industry, film and television, that have led me to what I'm doing right now. And so it's a, yeah, it's a really, it's a really great book. I think a lot of people will find a bit of themselves in the book. There's a little bit of, of, of the whole lot of me in it, but there's also a little bit of my mom and my dad and a bit of a Jamaican patois. So those that are want to get back to their roots, please, please pick up Homecoming. All right. So you have a big year coming up for sure. Uh, that's really <laughs> exciting to hear that the book is coming out. And congrats on finishing it because that in and of itself is a huge <sighs> amount of work just to put all that down on paper. And then you got to send the send button <laughs> and <laughs> you got to be mostly, well, to you got to be mostly okay with everything that ended up in it. <laughs> Listen, well, the, the beauty is that I have an incredible writing partner, Suzanne Hancock. She has been with me the whole journey, two and a half years in the writing and we hit send and we are right now just like overly excited to like see it all put together and to, uh, you know, step into the next phase of next year. What that means, because we actually might be able to do a book tour with it if depending on what COVID and the restrictions would be. Amazing. You know, internationally. Amazing. So. I would love, love nothing more than for you to be able to do a book tour and have people come out and see you and eat your food and be able to ask you questions in person. Let's hope that that is what is in all of our futures. And uh, I'm going to put it down on the calendar. We're going to talk again in two years and we're going to check in and see how everything is going and what what, what has happened over this time period. Uh, Chef, thank you again for taking some time on this uh, Saturday. I hope you go get to uh, go take a bike ride or something with your son. <laughs> 
That's exactly the plan. How did you know? Amazing. <laughs> it's a beautiful uh, day here in Toronto, so I'm on it. Perfect. Uh, well, enjoy the rest of your day and uh, my best to you and your family. Hopefully, we'll be out of uh, lockdown soon. Toronto will hopefully uh, emerge from this lockdown. Until then, stay safe and be well. The line is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.